Right? You're like, that buzzer ain't rang. That game ain't over with. So keep going. I had a dream I could buy my way to heaven. When I have thrived in that chaos. I told God I'll be back in a second. Man, it's so hard. How could this be happening? Did any of you guys pay attention to anything I said? Like, get arrested, guess until he get the message. Welcome back to the Reckless CEO Podcast. And where we I keep do, it real, raw, and reckless about business and life. Jewelry, they ain't really got the sauce that I ain't got. You know what I mean? It's like, here is your host, the Reckless CEO himself, Michael McGovern. Welcome back to the Reckless CEO podcast. I got two uh, legends in here. I feel like I'm just like with these two giants I'm looking across the table at. <laughs> got Mr. Ryan Nidell and, and Michael Isom. Isom. Michael Isom. Well, I'm excited to have both of you in here. Uh, obviously, you know, you guys have heard Ryan a few times, but it's always good when we get him back in here. He's a, he's a guy that has limited time. So, you know, we always cherish every opportunity that we get to have him on the show. So thank you, gentlemen, for coming in. Yeah. Th- thanks, buddy. And yeah. uh, thanks for, for selfishly letting me take over. Right? It's like a podcast takeover today <laughs> where... I get the privilege of knowing both of you in, in, in really different capacities. So obviously our story has been shared on the show plenty of times, but I think it's important to loop Michael in, right? As, as you're involved in our conversation today, Michael and I have a, a fascinating background of how he came into my life, right? I've, I've certainly spoken about wake up warrior ad nauseum. I think it's something that any, any man specifically, but really any person that considers really wanting to level up their life. There's just frameworks. There's success leaves clues, if you will. And yeah. a gentleman named Garrett J. White, who is certainly appropriate to say is very close friends. Michael and him are very close friends. Um, he founded Wake Up Warrior, and it happened to be the first time I was ever introduced to Michael was at the very first event that I went to. Not that it was memorable for him, but memorable for me. And I mean that seriously, because <laughs> Michael was sharing things from stage with his son. Yeah. Right. And this was 2000, was it 18 or 18. 17? Yeah. yeah. Warrior Con 2. Yeah. Warrior Con 2, Dana Point. Yeah. And just seeing this this man breaking down on stage, right? Because it's, it's, it's a group of, of very masculine people. There's a lot of masculine energy in that room. And seeing the vulnerability and the connection with Michael and just unabashedly sharing it is something I think it, it doesn't get spoken enough about inside of most circles. Like you need the duality of the masculine and feminine, mm-hmm. right? Without going too far on the other side. And I don't know if, if you remember that or not, if you if you remember any sort of tears that got shed or or, or what was happening. I know you, you've lived a lot of life since then. hundred percent. Yeah. So uh, my son, Caden, uh, was 18 years old at that time that we got on stage. And what precluded us getting on stage was uh, I, I got in Warrior when Garrett started Warrior in 2012. That's when I was I was introduced to it, watched the very first video, signed up. So fast forward to 2018, and about four months prior to WarriorCon 2, when you were there and my son and I spoke on stage, I went through another Warrior Week. Warrior Weeks were going on. They'd been going on for years, but I went back through again to experience it. And while I was there, our son was behind the camera, and he was filming me going through my shit. <laughs> And one of the evolutions in Warrior Week was the very first evening, and you go down into the water, and you and it's at night, and you just you've been beaten up mentally and physically all throughout the day, and then that evening you're in the water, and you come up out of the water, and you share like something deep and dark in your life, and you don't get to get back onto the shore out of the water until the coaches feel like it's something that's like really deep and dark. 
And uh, next thing, I'm going down under the wind water. I come up, I'm going down, I'm coming up, and guys are sharing, and they're going back onto the shore. And some guys have to, you know, share a couple other times. And I'm waiting, and I'm waiting. I'd been through this before, but not when my son's been behind the camera filming me going through this. And in the history of Wake Up Warrior, I was the only man who's had his son there watching him experience this. I remember going down underneath the water, and I come up, and my son is facing me in the water and he'd gotten permission from Garrett White and the other coaches, Sam Falsafi, uh, Jesse Ewell. He got permission to do this. And with big alligator tears in his eyes, he said, why did you leave us? And he's talking about when I wasn't healthy to be around the fall of 2010. And it was actually my wife and our two kids left me to figure out my shit because I was drinking obsessive excessively. I was in the pit of my life. I had lost $4.8 million of our family's life savings. And he said, why did you leave us? And like, I was irate. I thought I'd been set up. I'm like, who allowed my son to come into this water and face me and say this to me? And Sam Falsafi was standing right here in the water. He'd got down into the water for Caden to do this. And I remember grabbing Sam by the shirt right here at the neck. And I felt like I could throw him a thousand feet if I wanted to. I had so much adrenaline rushing through my body. And then I paused for a moment. I looked back over at my son. He had these tears rolling down his face. Well, that turned into us walking on the shore and taking some time together. And that experience was a catalyst for us to extract the lessons that led to that point. And then it was actually my son, 18 years old, that suggested to Garrett that he and I get on this stage and share lessons between lessons from the pit between the father and his son. And one of those lessons was this, that our kids are always watching us. Whether we think they are or not, they're always watching us. They're always listening. They pick up on those little cues, those little arguments, those things. We go in and shut the door. They know what the fuck is going on. They do. They're not stupid. They're 9, 10, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 years old. They know exactly what's going on. And he knew, and I didn't have the balls to go to him and share with him what was actually going on, but he knew. And he knew that when he was 18 years old and he got into the water with me and said, why did you leave us when he already really knew? So that gave us an opportunity to heal. It gave me an opportunity to be vulnerable with him and to share with him, him now being an adult. And uh, we shared from stage when you were there at that first event and we shared lessons from the pit between a father and son. And yeah, it was extremely vulnerable, but it was vulnerable to a point where it allowed me to share from my heart and for him to feel that in his heart and soul mm -hmm. and uh, for him to start trusting me again. Yeah. I mean, it's, like I said, there, there's just some, there's some moments in life that to me you look back on and they're, they're just these pivotal moments and like that moment and seeing the vulnerability between the two of you and then the way that the brotherhood rallied around that. Yeah. Right. The way that you guys have been through the shit together how there was like this, this mutual respect and camaraderie. And there's, there's no way to fully articulate that, but it was one of those moments. I'm like, I have to go through warrior week. Mm. Like I had to be from, from that, mm. like there's, there's such a bond that gets created when you, when you share at such a vulnerable place that never, never, dis, never disparage it or disgrace it by sharing what you go through 
you know, if it just doesn't make any sense, like the, it's a very sacred yeah. experience over those days. Well, and what it opens up for you, like you're saying, it opened up for you the the feeling and the thought of, hey, I'm watching someone else go through this. It's okay for me to, and 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 and, and so. That's what Wake Up Warrior does. That's what you guys do. You know, the lives and the examples that we lead when we're vulnerable, it gives someone else permission to be vulnerable in their own life. And true healing and happiness can only come from us opening up and being vulnerable like that. Mm -hmm. And so when we have that example from another man, masculine man, that he's willing to be vulnerable. And, and because I, I stuffed that away, man. I stuffed that away for years, and when I stuffed it away, it started manifesting itself in my life with these physical ailments because the body does keep the score. Mm. So me stuffing away thinking I'm being this masculine man and I, I shouldn't be exposing myself or being vulnerable, I was actually suffering more inside myself as a result. So it was in my self-interest to open up and to be vulnerable and to share from the heart. Mm. And I love that. I love that, Ryan, about yourself. Michael, I'm just getting to know you. But uh, anybody else out there listening to this, man, find someone that you trust and that uh, you can be vulnerable with and uh, don't keep that in, man, because if we keep it in, it manifests itself in an unhealthy way. Yeah. Mm, that's, I mean, that's incredible. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and what we're doing right now, I was catching up with, with Michael beforehand, this podcast experience, that was my cathartic release of all this stuff. Yeah. Right. I, I didn't have... I'll call it the testicular fortitude, the gall to be that vulnerable in front of people. So I sat in a room with a microphone mm -hmm. and just let it rip because it was, it was a, I'll call it a victimless crime to me, right? The, all the things I wasn't proud of, you got to just sit and, and just go. Yeah. It didn't matter what somebody said at that point. It was just out. And that was really a thing for me back in 2018, kind of that same, same time period, just getting rid of all this stuff. Yeah. It's all just stories, right? It, my perspective on every bad thing, I quote unquote bad thing I've ever done, is so different now than it was in eighteen, and then when I was doing it. Like, I think the stories we tell ourselves about the things that we've done or not done are very, very fascinating. Totally, and how they change over time. And then, yeah. right, we caught up. We were at Bo Eason's event, yeah. right? We we reconnected. Yeah. Had no idea Michael was part of Bo Eason's event. Yeah. Obviously, you and I go out there, and we start talking psychedelics. Yeah. Which I was, I was just kicking in the deep end of the swimming pool right now. <laughs> and I share that because of the perspective, right? Like you want to really start talking about as Michael's lighting up, <laughs> lighting up yeah. in the room. It, it's, it, it's a, it's such a profound perspective shift on all the stories you tell yourself, what you think is true. What's not true. Like how many, how many different times do you want to do an experience and you, I'll say it for me. The intentions that you set as you go into an experience really start to shape the way that experience shows up. Not the, it might not be that for me, it hasn't always been the way I've wanted it to. Mm -hmm. It's always been the way I've needed it to. hundred yeah. percent. And it's been really fascinating as, as you and I have reconnected, Michael, of just realizing how many of these incredible things we have in common. And, and, and Michael as well, you just yeah. don't know Michael McGovern as well, but just, you know, psilocybin, ketamine. I mean, I had Michael come out yeah. to Salt Lake City. I have a doctor out there that does ketamine therapy. Oh, beautiful. And I shared with him like this profound, like just, just completely dissolving the yeah. ego and the environment yeah. and just feeling completely conscientious of what's going on, but not being able to move and just really being ex able to explore. Like you got to come out. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll set up, I'll, I'll connect all the dots. Yeah. Yeah. It was, I mean, it was crazy too. And anytime he tells me to do something, I'm like, I don't ask questions. <laughs> Good. <laughs> yeah. I'm certainly not the guy that's going to suggest you do something that could hurt yourself. And so he, he flies out and like literally 
you landed at, I'll make it up 2 p.m. and you're having mm-hmm. a ketamine experience by four. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. I hadn't even checked in the Airbnb yet, went right to. Yeah. And I'd actually drove. So they tell you not to drive afterwards. You know, of course, I think I can handle it. Well, I, I figured it out. I got, I got to the Airbnb, but I mean, just on that, I mean, it was, <laughs> I, 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 I walk out and they're like, I'm kind of like stumbling around when you kind of get your legs, you know, underneath you again. And I go to the front desk and she's like, you have a ride? And I'm like, yeah, I got a ride. And I just kind of meander, like sneak out and, and get in my car. And I do like the old, like one on, like cover and I oh kind of drive thing in Salt Lake, never been to Salt Lake. But I mean, for me, it was one of those, <laughs> it was, yeah, it was, it was pretty crazy. You know, um, why did you go do that? I'm curious. Uh, I mean, he suggested it, right? So yeah. that was one reason, uh, you know, but for me, uh, you know, I, I think as I have experienced with psychedelics and things like that, um, you know, it's just continuously opened my mind up to uh, just what's out there. Right? I feel like every time I do it, I expand every time I do it. Even if I, I go into, it, I don't ever really feel like there's like a bad trip per se. Right. It's always like the thing that I'm going through, even though I might not be able to vocalize it before I go into it, by the time I'm through it, I, it was exactly what I needed nice. right? every single time. And, and so for me, I'm always looking for ways to, you know, maybe gain an edge or try to learn something or expose myself to something new. And so when he brought up the ketamine thing and you know how it made him feel, you know, I was, and it was kind of a wild timing because I was supposed to go out and my fiance at the time, uh, like didn't want me to go, didn't want me to go out. And I wanted to go, you know, told Ryan, like, I guess I'm not gonna be able to do it this time. You know, I have to wait. Well, then weeks later, her and I actually split up mm-hmm. and then I went out. Mm-hmm. And so it was kind of like this weird divine timing where like, I feel like if I would have went there, why her and I were so together, our relationship might've worked out. Like it might've changed something, but I think the fact that, you know, it, we split up and I went out there with that, I think it was the way it was supposed to be. And, you know, when I came out at first, I was like, obviously very, you're just, you're all over the place. You know, and I took a little nap and woke up and I had never felt, uh, like freer, right? Like the weight, like I didn't know that I had been depressed. I didn't know that I was like, you know, stuffing these emotions down. And when I came out of it, it was like, oh man. And you know, psychedelics do the same thing for me. Like every time I come out of it, I'm so grateful, you know, so thankful. Um, you know, all the things that I feel are, you know, tough things or struggles that I'm going through. Every time I come out of that, I'm like, man, I got 40 people that listen to me and support me and are there for me and have given me the opportunity to lead them. And, you know, just reframes it to me of this, like how important that is. Like you're saying vulnerability, right? Like I think people, uh, we think that everyone connects with perfection, but it's the, it's the pain, right? It's, it's when I can get up there and share with the team, the experiences that I've had and the vulnerabilities that I've gone through, you know, it, that, that kind of ripples into a culture. And so, you know, psychedelics, ketamine, these things have allowed me to be willing to share more. Cause like you said, you're a you know masculine guy. I mean, I didn't grow up in, you know, my, my childhood wasn't talking feelings, you know what I mean? And, and so for me, right. Right. And, and, you know, and so for me, that was a, you know, that was a, uh, that was a hard thing, but I've realized how much I've grown and, you know, my business has grown with the more that I've been willing to be vulnerable like that. Good for you. Good for you. Yeah. And and, and my, my ketamine, I mean, I don't think you and I have shared this, but how, when we were walking up to the studio or walking down, however it was, and the fact of, if we don't have something to focus on, we start to mess some stuff up. So we have something to focus on hundred percent. And there was a season in life, Michael, where the girls go riding, right? They, they ride horses and I'm at home on a Saturday and to say it was dark, wouldn't be the right term. Hmm. It is suicidal thoughts that are, I, it's like this loop that I can't get out of. 
And I'm like, what's it going to look like when they walk through the door and they find me dead on the floor? Like, could I put a note on the door so they don't walk in and see something? Cause I wouldn't want them to see it. I'm like, okay, this, this isn't real, but it's real, right? Like I don't actually want to hurt myself, but I'm thinking about hurting myself. Yeah. And says back and forth. Okay. So it happens one weekend, no big deal. I shake it off. Right. It's nothing. Maybe two or three weeks later, same thing happens. Then it's starting to happen every week. And I'm like, oh, fuck. And so I'm literally in this doctor's office. It's a uh, longevity doctor mm-hmm. in Salt Lake. Mm-hmm. Dr. Stephen Warren. Yeah. I, I told yeah. you about. Yeah. And we're talking everything else, testosterone levels and serotonin. And we're, we're just going through the gamut of things. And he says, I don't know where. What about ketamine? I said, it's crazy. You've been asking that. I've been studying ketamine for a long time. I don't know where to do it. I don't know how to get it. I don't have a, you know, it, it, I don't know. And he goes, well, I'm licensed. I, I'll give you a bag right now. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> oh, yeah. I'll turn off lights on here. We'll close the door. You just, you, you'll have your own experience. I'm like, I got to get back to the office. How long is it going to take? He goes, on oh, 45 minutes or an hour. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was four hours. Yeah. In an IV drip, yeah. The, the, the IV was done after an hour and a half, but man, yeah. I, I was I was still in going. it, yeah. And just not realizing how much the dimmer had been turned yeah. down yeah. on my life, mm. right? And I, I it felt like I was still at a nine or a ten. Mm. I was probably at a four, mm. right? And this is two years ago, maybe longer now, maybe even I don't probably two years ago, yeah. going on three. And the dim, dimmer switch was cranked back up, right? Good All of a sudden, you. it's things feel great. I'm incredibly grateful. What's been fascinating is I felt no need to do it again, right? As, as we're discussing different psychedelics just an hour ago, and like that calling, like if, yeah. to me, every one of these medicines, every one of these modalities, if you become curious and it starts tapping on the shoulder, as I call it, and speaks to you, you got to listen, yeah. right? You got to listen to that higher sense of self or God or whatever, whatever deity you might adhere to. It just hasn't spoken to me since then, yeah. but also still feel like the dimmer switch is on 10. Yeah, yeah. So my uh, my perspective on uh, ketamine, especially, and and I've I've used ketamine, uh, you know, for specific things in my life. Ketamine's a disassociative, you know, EMTs that are uh, paramedics that are driving their you know emergency vehicles. If they come up on an accident and 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 someone's got a bone sticking through the arm, they and and they're conscious and they're freaking out because they're looking down, seeing this bone sticking out of the arm. The paramedic's going to hit them with some ketamine to disassociate their brain from their body. Mm. And so when we're taking an IV trip, drip, and a trip, it is a trip it too. Is. <laughs> it is a trip. But when we're taking that IV uh, drip to trip, then, uh, you know, we're disasso- disassociating our brain from our body. Mm. And my perspective of it is I'm able to get out of my brain, into my heart and into my soul and actually have a conversation. So... It's, it's documented, you know, you can have it, you, you, you want to do it under a doctor's supervision for sure out in Utah, there's clinics and so forth. I don't know what it's like out here in Ohio, mm-hmm. but they have clinics out there that you can go to and, and do this, but it allows me to disassociate, disassociate my brain from my, from the rest of my body and get into my heart and my soul and then ask myself some questions mm-hmm. like what's really true for me at a really heart soulful level and when I experience that and I answer myself, it sticks with me mm-hmm. and it can stick with me and then fade away if I'm not doing integration afterwards, if mm-hmm. I'm not, you know, can, just like anything else, yeah. working out, eating well, whatever else, what other habits we want to have in our life, we've got to sustain it over a period of time. 
So if you're having these experiences, just like I have, then, you know, make sure you have some really good integration to go along with it. I'll, I, I want to share this. One of my experiences in, um, in a psychedelic, um, it was with MDMA, MDMA. It was assisted with MDMA and it was a, a somatic body release experience that I was having with it. And you go through and it, and it allows you to get to a point where you're accessing childhood memories and traumas that, that are in your subconscious. So we walk around in life, all of us, everyone listening, the two of you, everyone else out there, we walk, we walk around in life with stories that we formed in our youth in our childhood. Many of those stories are working really well. Those beliefs that we have about ourselves, our worldview, our self view, and there could be some stories that aren't working really well, some limiting beliefs. I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. I can't trust other people, whatever else those stories are. And we may not be conscious of them, but they're in there and they're rooted in our childhood. So here I am in this somatic body release experience and I'm just going deep and deep and deep and deep. And next thing you know, and it took like the part of the experience for me is I felt like I was being crushed by this car. And, and, and the therapist said, just allow it to continue to crush you. And I'm like, well, I'm going to die. And like, and she's like, maybe you need to die. Mm -hmm. And so I allowed my, I, first of all, I, I came out of my body and she could tell that I came out of my body and I was watching my body being crushed, but I wasn't in. She says, you need to go back into your body. So I went back into my body and it was excruciating, but because it was so excruciating, it allowed me to get to my five-year-old self. And all of a sudden I had this memory as a five-year-old boy waking up from a nightmare at the age of five. And in this nightmare was me driving off of this cliff with my family. And before we hit the ground, I would wake up scary as hell as a five-year-old to have this nightmare. I got up from my bed, went over to the doorway of my room in the middle of the night and sat down and looked down the long hallway to my parents' room. I didn't go to their room. And it, and as a five-year-old, I told myself because of the fucked up relationship that my parents had and the abuse that I was going through as a result of that and the way they treated me, I told myself in that moment that I couldn't trust my parents. And if I couldn't trust them, I couldn't trust anybody else, including myself. So as a five-year-old boy, I formed that belief. And then as an adult, I would prove that belief true by finding other people in my life in business mainly that would validate that story that I couldn't trust them. How fucked up is that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's fucked up until it's, it's not. Right? Exactly. Like, oh, it's, for sure. I'm so glad that I had yeah. that experience and I had that awareness and I could shift my story around that. I wasn't aware of it. If we're not aware of it, we can't do something about it. Right. Perspective. It gave me a new perspective and I shifted my story in the new perspective. Perspective determines action. And so I was, I've been able to shift that and like life's been <laughs> 180 degrees different as a result of that. Yeah. It's been incredible. Absolutely. And I think we talk about life, we talk about business. It's a great segue, right? There, there's a book that I'm going to encourage you to go out and buy, right? Hop on Amazon right now. It's what would the Rockefellers do? And this book is profound. I, I, I've suggested to you before that really gets into some concepts that I'm, I'm hoping Michael can shed, shed some light on. I'll explain why. Right, you really get into the traditional financial system as we know it is not set up for our success. It's set up for somebody else's success. 
right? I mean, whether you know it or not, whether you believe it or not, like putting money in the stock market or taking a loan out from a bank, those are a perspective, but might not be the best perspective. And so in this book, What Would the Rockefellers Do? There's these conversations that are had around infinite banking concepts and some things that are profound, right? And it's simplicity. You look at it like, it can't be, it's really this easy to be your own bank and like run your own playbook. And this is what banks are doing, but I can do it too. Well, as luck would have it, there's there's two authors of that book, right? One one is a guy named Garrett Gunderson. He long flowing hair and right, he's on the road telling telling jokes now. The other guy is named Michael Isom. That, that's a, that's an author of this book, and he happens to be in the room with us right now. <laughs> and it, it's just such a profound thing to to see all that you share, right, with with the world, Michael Isom specifically on. These things that it doesn't matter if you're making $30,000 a year, you're making $3 million a year. There's some very basic things that I think everybody should be aware of to then reach out and have a level of conversations. I mean, we're going through it together right now in in my life and I, I feel pretty buttoned up, right? I mean, life insurance and trusts and business entities and structures and realizing from a 30 minute conversation with Michael Isom, I've got a lot of vulnerabilities still. It's like, I don't really like vulnerabilities. Right? There's, there's a lot of opportunity for growth. And so as we segue into business just a little bit right, and what that perspective could be, would you mind, especially as someone's listening, hitting some of the high points of the background on that side? What, what's IBC look like? Why? Sure. I mean, take something like life insurance. It's such a bad rap and it's such a fascinating vehicle to accumulate wealth in, in some of the most tax efficient methods that are guaranteed returns. Like there's just so much bad information that exists. And there's also on the other side, so many bad actors in that space that are yeah. cramming in policies that make a bunch of money for them that don't put the best foot forward for, for the person that's receiving the policy. I think it's an incredible platform to have some of that conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Well, great segue. And thanks for bringing that up. I yeah. wasn't, I didn't know we were going to go there, but I'm, I'm happy to talk about it anytime. That's for sure. So to set that up, there's a concept that I uh, uh, pioneered called AIS, and it's the AIS triangle. It's number one asset, number one investment, number one strategy. You are your number one asset. People are assets, things are not. We're all familiar if we're in business in any way, shape, or form of a balance sheet, financial balance sheet. And on that financial balance sheet, we have assets and we have liabilities. Assets minus liabilities equal the equity in our financial balance sheet. But next to that financial balance sheet or what I call a property value balance sheet or what is called a property value balance sheet, there's another balance sheet. And that other balance sheet has assets and it has liabilities on it also. And that balance sheet I call an HLV balance sheet, human life value. Human life value assets would include things like our education, our experiences, our morals, our values, our integrity. It's who we are as a person. Our ability to communicate, relationships, that would be a line item on the human life value balance sheet. And there, there could be some liabilities. There could be uh, limiting beliefs. And, uh, you know, like we were talking about with psychedelics. So I, when we're having this whole conversation, I'm thinking about assets and I'm thinking about liabilities on the human life value balance sheet. Human life value is the source and the creator of all property value. So it's a simple formula. We want to create more property value, more cash assets, more equity in our business and in our life. If we want to get paid more in our career or earn more money, first seek to increase your human life value assets. We met at Bo Eason's event. 
you talked about mm -hmm. or got reacquainted again, Ryan mm -hmm. and Michael, I met you there. We were there because we wanted to increase our ability to communicate, to tell stories. Our ability to communicate and tell stories is a line item on our human life value balance sheet. And so it's a, it's a simple equation. Seek to increase this first before increasing that. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I look at my financial balance sheet, but I first look at my human life value balance sheet, especially with psychedelics and coaching and all sorts of stuff. So number one asset is you, the individual. People are assets, things are not. Human life value is the source and creator of all property value. That's the number one asset. Number one investment, AIS, number one investment. If the two of you were to look in, into your back over in your life and look at all the cash that's been put into your pocket up until now, hasn't it come from your ability to run your own business and your career? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. I mean, you have equity in things, but the cash that's been infused in your pocket has come from your ability to run your business at the highest level and or career. Mm -hmm. and, it, and running your own business in your career is something that you control and you have knowledge and expertise in. Maybe even some purpose and passion, some experience in. That's number one investment. Your own business and your own career. That's the area to take risk. It's vital for us to take risk. I wrote another book recently called What We're Worth. Ryan, did I give you a copy of that book? What no. did I ask you? I haven't. Okay. I brought you one. Michael, you. I brought you one also. Sweet. I'll make sure I sign it and leave it for you. I, 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 need, I need the signature. Makes it worth something. I wasn't sure if I gave you one in California or not, so I wanted no. to make sure I asked you while I was out here. Thank you. And it's titled What We're Worth. And I had put my self-worth in my financial balance sheet. And when I lost everything financially the end of 2007, I felt worthless. Oh, you, you need to step out, don't you? Okay, buddy. I'll see you. Talk to you soon. I, I, had, I, had, I had tied my entire self-worth in my financial balance sheet. If I had all these assets and all this equity, then I felt worthy. And when I lost everything financially at the end of 2007, I felt worth less. I wasn't even thinking about my human life value balance sheet. I wasn't thinking about the relationships that I had. I wasn't thinking about you know, my knowledge, my experiences, my vulnerability. I, I wasn't thinking about any of that. I felt worthless because I tied it to this, not to this. Property value is a representation of this, but it's not who we are, right? It's all those intrinsic self-interest, intrinsic values that we have in our life, right? Your ability yeah. to, to keep a relationship and to lead and to inspire other people. Those are the true assets. Yeah. So number one investment um, things we control, things we have knowledge and expertise in. I relinquished control of cash when I lost all that money at the end of 2007. I relinquished control of cash to an area where I didn't have knowledge, I didn't have experience, I didn't have purpose and passion, and I didn't have control. I was gambling. Mm. So when Ryan starts talking about what would the Rockefellers do, I am automatically think about the stock market and I think about Wall Street. Yeah. I'm against gambling. I want you to be against gambling. I want anybody listening to this to be against gambling because gambling is a zero sum game. There's a winner and there's a loser. What's the value exchange in right. that? Right. right? Yeah. Versus a win-win. But I also want to make sure that I'm clear and I write about it in my new book, What We're Worth, that it's essential, Michael, for you and I to take risk in our lives. Tony Robbins taught me this. 
Have you ever been to any Tony Robbins? Event? I haven't. Ryan, um, he uh, he was he did the date with Destiny, but he okay. did it here. He didn't go, but he bought him and I a ticket to go. Okay, next year I've watched. You know, I'm not your yeah. guru and things like yeah. that, but yeah. I've, I haven't got to experience it yet. So I went to Unleash the Power Within <laughs> in Dallas, Texas, back in 2017, 2018, and my wife and kids uh, went with me. Uh, my wife and I separated, and then we got back together, thank God, and we just celebrated 30 years of uh, being married together, which has been amazing. Thank you. Uh, but it unleashed the power within. Tony Robbins talks about four basic needs that we all have. Basic needs as a human, we will fulfill them. Certainty, uncertainty, significance, and love. Every human has those four needs. Uncertainty is variety and risk. Michael, it's essential for you to be aware of having variety and risk in your life. The reason I say that it's essential, it's essential if you want to be happy and not have these big roller coaster rides in your life yeah. like I've had or Ryan, or I'm sure you've had them yourself. So be aware that risk is essential. And everyone listening to this, it's essential for us to take risk. But are you taking risk in an area where you have knowledge, where you have experience, where you have control or purpose and passion. I love that you guys are expanding in business. Like I get excited about that. That's where I want you to take risk. How do you diversify? Hire a new salesperson. Yes. How do you diversify? Put money at marketing. How do you diversify something in your business? Yeah. Not taking cash and diversifying out in the stock market. Yeah. That's gambling. Yeah. How do you hedge against inflation? You hedge against inflation in your business. And in your career, not with all these outside investments that you have no knowledge, no expertise, no purpose, no passion, no control over. So I'm totally against gambling because I gambled, I lost, I stuck a gun in my mouth and almost killed myself over losing all this cash. And I wouldn't have been able to watch or experience our daughter giving birth to our grandson a year and a half ago. And she's pregnant with the second baby. And it's incredible. Like it's so, I showed you the picture of my grandson. It's so fulfilling for me to have that in my life. So I'm clear that I'm my number one asset. I want to, I want you, I want everybody else to be clear that, that you are the number one asset. And it's not selfish to treat ourselves as the number one asset. It's out of self-interest mm. because when we take care of ourselves, we have more to offer to those around us. If I'm sick or I'm unhealthy mentally or physically, I don't have shit to offer to you. Yeah. I don't have shit to offer to my wife or to my kids or my clients. So we want to take care of ourselves, not out of selfishness, but out of self-interest. Yeah. Number one asset is you. Number one investment is your own business and your own career. That's where you take risk. Number one strategy, AIS, number one asset, number one investment, number one strategy, the S, number one strategy. When you relinquish control of your cash, Keep it guaranteed, protected, and liquid. Guaranteed and protected mainly to protect your mindset so you can continue to produce in your area of expertise at the highest level because nothing will outproduce that. Yeah. Nothing will put more cash in your pocket. Nothing will put more joy. If you're getting bored in your business or in your career, that's something different. Yeah. That's when you need to start listening to more podcasts. That's when you need to go walk on fire with Tony Robbins or go to a wake up warrior event or do something yeah to reignite the passion within yourself. Yeah. Do you agree? A hundred percent. hundred percent. And man, Michael, I can't believe you're only 31. You're 31, right? 31, yeah. You're 31 yeah. years old, man. Yeah. I'm 52. And I, I just feel like you're just like, 
you're just getting into your prime, man. Yeah. I'm so excited for you and yeah. happy for you. Seriously. No, man, I, I appreciate that. And uh, I give a lot of, you know, thanks to, to Ryan, right? I, I just like you talk about, it's the, the people that you get around. You know, I, I grew up West Virginia. It's a kind of small town. Um, wasn't necessarily like my dad and my uncle were, you know, they, they tried to be entrepreneurs. They did some things. And, you know, so I got, I got fortunate enough to be exposed to some of that. So it kind of like piqued the interest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, good. I was also an athlete. So it was like, that was a, you know, that was like my babysitter, right? The, the, being, being a hockey player and doing that, then, you know, having the ability to, to go in and play for a little while after high school ended. But, you know, similar to you, you know, when that, when that was taken from me, right. Or I lost that, you know, I definitely felt like I lost my purpose because for me, my identity was hockey, Hmm. right. That was all I did. Like I didn't, you know, I barely graduated high school. Like in my mind, I was going on to play college hockey or pro hockey. And I had this, Mm. this vision of what a big life was going to be and all of these things. And, you know, my dad refinanced his house and, you know, bet everything that he could on me to be able Mm. to, you know, Mm. help me succeed. And and then when I didn't, you know, I I really was, I was lost, you know, I moved Mm. back home, uh, you know, toxic relationships and, but just like you're speaking of, you know, I, I didn't know it at the time, but I realized that so much of that was just that internal, Right. It, it was, I, I internally, I was creating my external based off of how I was thinking. Yep. Yeah. The liabilities on your human life yeah. value balance sheet. A hundred percent. And, and then just constantly being exposed to that and that being all you know. Yeah. Um, you know, fortunately came up here and, and you know, I always say, I was like, Ryan was like, he was like an angel to me. You know what I mean? It was, a, it was a weird encounter. It wasn't, you know, he wasn't looking and yeah. I, and I was just, yeah. you know, trying to, to seek something. And I, and I think anytime you're seeking it, you'll find it. You just 100%. gotta, you gotta keep seeking, yeah. you know? And, you know, one of the biggest things that I, that he has helped me with is obviously I've been able to learn a ton. I mean, just the intelligence of, of him has, has helped me, you know, massively, but the expansion of what's possible. Right. The, the, his, he, his, you know, I think great mentors, you know, not only help to see a version of you that you can't see for yourself. Like that's one of the powers of a good mentor, right? Like they help you see something that you don't see in you, but then they also create the, the, the resources or the opportunities to do so. Right. So Ryan helped a hundred percent. Right. So he helped me see a version of me that I didn't see, but not only did he help me see that, then he put me in rooms and positions to then step into that. Right. And, and I think that's one of the most powerful things is, you know, being able to have someone have that belief in you. That's why I'm so passionate about, about this, right? Like for you guys came in, you know, every Friday I take the collective of everything that I learned from the mentors that I have. And then I open up to a company wide kind of a, a mentor coaching session, right? Beautiful. Where I'm like, Hey, here's what I'm going through. Here's what I'm experiencing. You know, anyone that wants to listen and show up, I'll teach you. And, you know, so that, that's what we did today. But I, I do that because I know how powerful that relationship was for me. And, and it yeah. was one person has now affected 40, 50 people that are out there plus more. Right. And it's yeah. like, if I can help one person do that, and even if it's not, you know, with me forever, but I can just be the springboard for them to, to be a better person. Um, I mean, it, it's huge, man. It changes your life. Yeah. What I hear you saying is that, uh, and I'll think of his name in just a moment. It's been a while. Maybe, you know, uh, who I'm talking about. Um, uh, the only way to get to the top is to help enough other people get to the top. Mm. That sounds like you. It sounds like Ryan. It sounds like you learned that from Ryan. Yeah. I think Ryan's a great example of that. So number one strategy, cash that you relinquish control of, keep it guaranteed, protected, and liquid. Guaranteed and protected mainly to protect your mindset so you can continue to produce at the highest level in your area of expertise. 
liquid, the whole what would the Rockefellers do and banking with your cash, liquid to use for future money decisions that you're going to make anyway in your lifetime, car purchases, leases, home purchases, you know, major purchases that you would go to a bank and consider financing in your life. Save that cash in an area, not in a 401k, not in an IRA where you're locked up and gambling in the stock market, hoping for this certain rate of return, but in an area like Ryan's talking about. And the only area that offers that is whole life insurance, not whole life insurance by itself. Whole life insurance has been around for 200 years, but whole life insurance structured in a way where it lowers the commissions by over 70%, where you stuff more cash in the IRS regulates it. So you can only stuff in so much, but you want to max the level of cash that you put into that policy and then use that cash in there that is guaranteed as a guaranteed interest rate, protected against creditor claims and lawsuits and liquid for future money decisions you're going to make anyway. But now you pay yourself the spread of that interest. Mm. For example, our son went to uh, the credit union recently to uh, get the loan rate on an automobile. He has his own life insurance policy. He banks with uh, himself. We've had them on our kids for over 20 years. Thank God we're able to keep them through the collapse of everything. We can talk on another podcast maybe yeah. about all that. But uh, he went to the credit union. They quoted him 7.5% interest on an auto loan right now. He was selling his car. He wanted to get a uh, Toyota uh, 4Runner and do the old you know, Outlander yeah. off-roading stuff with it, put the 10 on top and yeah. all that. He's really into that. He's 24, almost 25. And um, so he went there, 7.5% interest. He can borrow money through his policy at 5%, pay himself back that 7.5%, which is a 2.5% difference. But that 2.5% represents a 25% increase for him, or Mm. excuse me, a 50% increase for him. Look at it this way in roofing. Let's say, and I'm going to really, I'm going to hack this up, okay? But But I'm somewhat familiar with roofing at least out in Utah and, you know, we have asphalt shingles and we have yeah. the, is it ceramic? What are the other ones? Uh, so you got EDPM, you got flat, you got metal. Okay. Uh, you've got tile, probably yeah. what you're thinking. Okay. Tile. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let's see. Let's go. Maybe you can buy a piece of tile for, uh, for $3. And if you sold it to a customer for $6, that's a hundred percent markup. Mm-hmm. If you sold it for $9, that'd be a 200% markup, right? Yep. So when banks bring money in and they pay you 1% on your money market or savings account, and then they lend it out to someone at 5%, that's a 400% increase for the bank. Yeah, It's a 4% difference, but it's a 400% increase. It's not their money. They're taking all of our money, paying us 1%, if we're even getting 1%. Right. right. They're taking everybody else's money, pulling it together, and then lending it out. So the banks are making a killing right now. Yeah. And then do they, don't they also get leverage against that money as well? Fractional reserve banking. They can turn a dollar over about five to six times during the year. Totally legal. There's no conspiracy around this, right? You finance a car. The car dealership takes the cash, puts it back into the bank. The bank lends it out to me for a house. The people that built my home, put it back into the bank. The bank takes that money and lends it out to... Joe for a car and on and on and on. So they can turn a dollar over about five to six times during a Mm. year. So my son took a policy loan through his life insurance policy at 5%. That's what they charge him to, to borrow the money and his cash stays in there and grows. We, We can talk more in detail about that. 
But the difference for him is that he's now paying himself back the seven and a half percent versus paying the the bank. bank. The life insurance company takes the five out of the seven and a half and he keeps the two and a half. That two and a half represents a 50% increase for him that he's now holding on to. And had he not set that up, had we not set that up for him to be able to use, he now takes care of it himself. He would be paying that seven and a half percent to the bank and not making that 50% himself. So we make our highest rate of return in our business with our ability to produce in our business, but then we can create a banking system to be able to use for future money decisions that we're going to make anyway. And that's what would the Rockefellers do? Yeah. That's the whole concept behind that. Guaranteed they use their cash, the Rockefellers to do. Well, you're getting your, using your cash multiple ways. hundred percent. You're not just using it the one way when you're pulling it out and putting it into something, something like that. I mean, what's a, um, for, for somebody wanting to get into that. Yeah. Right. Like what's a good starting point, right? If you're a yeah. business owner and, you know, yeah. and, and you're, you know, listening to this right now, like what, what's a starting point? Is there a, a, a number that you need to yeah. be willing to commit to? Cause I know it's, it, yeah. you know, you've got to pay in, you got to be able to pay that for you know a period of time yeah. before you're able to, yeah. you know, and then obviously accessing the capital and things like that. Yeah. But could you share something on that? Yeah. Yeah. So two thoughts come up for me. Number one, and this is the number, this is the number one thing I teach all my clients, especially younger ones. And I've taught my kids. Learn and and it's different. Like if you're not married and you don't have as many dependents or expenses going on in your life, I want this to be a higher percentage. But the the way to look at it is the way to look at it first is learn to live off of a percentage of your income, which means you're saving the other percentage. Minimum or maximum to live off of would be 80%. So if you have a hundred thousand dollars a year coming in, live off of eighty thousand and save the twenty percent. Don't think of it as a budget and a constraint. Think of it as something that's empowering. Yeah. I get to spend the 80%. Yeah. Because no one's coming to save us. We must create our own pension plan, our own retirement, yeah. our own banking system. And you can you cannot do it and you can earn $100,000 and you can spend $105,000 and go into debt every year. Yeah. And then when you earn $150,000 and you spend $155,000 because it's called our propensity to consume, our level of expenses will rise to meet our income. You didn't always make the income you're making right now, but you are. And it's going to continue to increase if you continue to do certain things. So make it a percentage. Uh, When I started over financially after losing all that cash in 2011, my wife and I decided we we're going to live off of 70% of what we brought in, which meant we were saving 30%. So if we're making a hundred grand, we're going to save $30,000. If we're going to make 500,000, we're going to, if we made $500,000, we're going to save 30% of that, which is $150,000. So first set the percentage. And then number two, um, you'll want to, you'll want to commit to um, save a minimum of $500 a month into a policy. That gives you the biggest break of having the fees come out of a, about 150 or about $125 of that 500. So you have 375 that's going towards building the cash the first couple of years. And then once you get into the third, fourth year, everything is there building the cash. Once you get to the seventh year, they release back to you what you didn't have access the first couple of years. But I would say it depends on, depends on the person, right? It always depends. Make it a percentage of your income. Number one, just create that habit. It's healthy to do that. Be empowered by that. Don't see it as something that takes away as a a budget or a negative thing. Think of it as something that's empowering in your life to do that. 
and then uh, seek to have at least 500 a month. It could be a thousand, it could be 600, seven, 800, 900, a thousand a month, 2000 a month, 10,000 a month or whatever, go into that, but start at a minimum of 500 a month. Mm, that's really good. Yeah. And what's the best way? Cause I, you were talking about a little bit earlier, right? There's so many people out there that teach this system. There's so many different ways to, to, I actually got, had a, a an insurance company when it, before I got into any of this, you know, sold me a policy that told me it was going to be all this. And then I couldn't get money back out of it and, you know, kind of a wasted thing, but yeah. there's a lot of that. Right. Yeah, and I think that's why a lot of it gets a bad rap too, sometimes yeah. because it's almost like that doesn't actually work like that. Yeah. Right. Where was the best people find or the best spot for people to find resources to be able to kind of get into this? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, as Ryan said, uh, Garrett Gunderson and I wrote, what would the Rockefellers do? We're coming out with, uh, the second version of that, uh, in April, working on the cover design today, the manuscripts written for it. And it's, it, uh, is going to be called, what would the wealthy do? And I mentioned that because those are great places to start to learn and educate yourself. But you can also go to my website, Vault, V-A-U-L-T-A-I-S. The AIS is number one asset investment strategy. So vaultais.com. Take my assessment on the homepage and then we're either myself or someone on our team will reach out to you and, and assist you with that. You want to make sure, make sure that someone is structuring that policy properly and we can help you with that. Um, and that's, that's what we do. Yeah, yeah definitely. Is, is, that, is this your, uh, is it, is, is the financial advisory? I mean, what's kind of your title there, Michael? What's yeah. your, what, what do you uh, do? Strategist. Man? Strategist. Yeah, okay. I would say strategist. I get paid commissions on these policies. Yeah. Um, that's how I make my money, but I share the perspective of AIS with someone first, number one asset, number one investment, number one strategy. Yeah. If you buy into that and you want this in your life, I'll help you get that. Mm. I don't want you gambling with any of your cash. And, you know, the the story, uh, what we're worth, the book that I'll leave you with. Yeah. It's a story. It's a fictional story of this character, David Shalcross. It's a business fable. So it's a big story. Bo assisted me in uh, making sure that uh, we do it in a story form. But uh, this guy, David Shalcross, he risks all this money in this crypto investment. I'm yeah. not saying crypto is bad. I'm not for it. I'm not against it. I'm not educated in it. Yeah. I don't have any experience with it. I don't have any control with it. So it's a gamble for me. It's not a gamble for other people if they understand it. Yeah. Okay. I just want to make sure yeah. I'm clear on that. But this fictional character, David Shellcross, he doesn't have experience in it and he owns his own business, but he goes all in on crypto, loses it all, feels worthless because he tied his self-worth to his financial balance sheet, not his human life value balance sheet, tries to kill himself, fails. <laughs> I haven't shared this on a podcast yet, but because we were talking about psychedelics, I'm going to share this right now. <laughs> I'm chuckling because I think it's kind of funny, but I'm, I'm happy to do it because it sounds like you guys talk a lot about yeah. psychedelics. Yes. This character, David Shellcross, he's out in the middle of the uh, Death Valley uh, desert of California, and he tries to kill himself. He's not successful. He's ran out of gas. He has no food, no water, and so he starts walking. And Mojave Desert, Death Valley, California, it's 100 plus degrees. He's dehydrated. He has no water, no food. He goes a couple of days and he starts hallucinating from dehydration. Mm. And in those hallucinations, his old uh, baseball coach comes to him and starts sharing these life lessons to him and teaches him about the concept of human life value. Mm. And those are life lessons that I've received as a result of the medicine work that I've done using hallucinogenics. Dang. Man, I love that. <laughs> no, I love that, man. I, de I definitely want to, de I'm excited to read that book. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'll leave you with copy. Uh, and and I, I love the uh, just where your mind's with all that, right? I talk to, we have a lot of younger guys that, that work for me, right? And they get money. They're like, where do we put it? What do we invest in? Yeah. You know, all these things, right? Yeah. And and because I've seen what the ROI has been on me investing in myself, you know, I'm 100%. always encouraging. I'm like, you, you either invest in your business or invest in your education. ROI, return on you. That's it. And, and, and it's, you know, it's, it's, it will accelerate. It'll take a lot of the pain away that you, you know, you don't have to experience. And you know, I always look at it like this is that, you know, so many people want to, like, they want to grow a business or, or just in life, right? Like they start from ground and they'd want to build up. And for me, you have to understand philosophy. You have to understand life. You've got to, you have to build the infrastructure before you can build the building. And so many people 100%. just want to build. Yeah. without doing that without that a foundation self, right without that self-discovery and kind of going through that and that was you know, the biggest shift in my life when coming here is i started exploring you know psychedelics i got a mentor you know and started really feeding into that you know to me right the, the thing where i realize now that i am the most valuable asset in my business I, i'm the ceiling right that's why i'm always coaching my people and teaching them and helping them because i know that if i'm not consistently growing and expanding well they're going to pass me or they're going to leave me Right. And so it forces me. I've been able to kind of create this culture of accountability, right? Where I know I got to show up every day. I got to be the best version of me. I got to be on 10. I got to help these people. And that's what fulfills you the most by doing that, too. And it creates the most for those around you. 100%. Why would you ever stop that? You, you can't. Exactly. You can't. And and it, and it does. Right. It's, it's, it's a selfish feeling because I'm like, man, I truly there's not a day that goes by where I'm like, oh, man, how do my, I don't want this life no more. Yeah. Right. Every day I, I'm, I'm seeking to learn more and grow more. And, you know, fortunately, when you get to the point where businesses and things start to turn, because there's a lot of hardship, yeah. you know, there's a lot of yeah. Raymond noodles and, you know, yeah. sleeping on the floor yeah. and, and whatnot to get there. But, you know, it, it, it's once you get there, you start to you, it turns into this kind of a game. And then you you know meet people like yourself and you learn these ways to be able to protect and hedge against. And, you know, for me personally, that's that's the. That's my goal in 24 is to start to really get into more of that, right? Because I've been in such a building phase where everything I've made has gone back into this business to, right, to expand and grow Great. people and grow. And, yeah. and we're starting Perfect. to finally create that leverage now where like the team that, you know, that I was, you know, I was spending like we were a $10 million team when we were only a five, yeah. right? But now that leverage is starting to shift where now we can, I, I want to get my finances in line and do these things that, you know, where I can start to constantly be creating from a creative state yep. versus that scarcity of like yep. the survival of it. Yeah, that's true prosperity. Yeah, 100%. It, it really is. 100%, man. Sure, yeah. sure, uh, before before I let you go, let me hear a little bit about this, this race car stuff and all that. What, oh, what, man. What, what was that? Yeah, you're gonna open that can up. Huh? So you can, it can yeah. it can be light, but I yeah. want I want to yeah. know about it. Yeah, no, man. Uh, so uh, part of my personal story that Bo Eason assisted me with is I, my first line out is I love motorcycles. In seventh grade, I rode a Yamaha YZ50, and I went to work for Cycle Town Yamaha in seventh grade, so I could two dollars and twenty five cents an hour. By the way, seventh grade, I'm fifty two years old. You can do the math. I was sweeping floors and washing bikes and emptying trash cans, and that's how I paid for things that I wanted. Uh, clothes for school, dating girls, parts for motorcycles. So I've always been in the that industry and yeah. anything with a motor in it. So when I started being successful again in business, my one of my big dreams, this big dream that I had out there is I want to own an off-road racing team. A couple of years later, my son and I are building this off-road race car, and uh, that's how I justified it is 
business. I could, my son and I could do it, but I could also put clients in the car with me at the same time. And so we, uh, we got into it with, uh, Can-Am, the UTVs, the side-by-sides, and you can buy one of these UTVs for around uh, $30,000, but then you strip it all the way down and you build it up in this full on race car. And there's divisions out in Nevada or the Baja 1000 down in Mexico. And I raced in a series in Nevada called best in the desert. And we build up one of these UTVs and my son and I did it for a while. And then I started putting clients in the car with me and we'd have GoPro footage and helicopter footage that we would pay for. And we'd get done with a race and I'd have one of my clients sitting in the car and I'd say, do you trust your advisor enough to go 300 miles in the Nevada desert? I don't think so. Well, we started winning races (laughs) and when you win races, you get the attraction of manufacturers that want to help sponsor you. Yeah. So BF Goodrich tires was giving us free tires and some cash if we were winning uh, Can-Am, the manufacturer of that uh, machine, was giving us cars and parts and money because we won the overall championship three years in a row. Wow. Uh, you can check it out if anybody wants to. If you love this sort of stuff, Michael, check it out. It's yeah. Mobbin, M-O-B-B-I-N, underscore racing, Mobbin Racing on Instagram. Uh, I stopped it two years ago. Uh for many different reasons, but, uh, the last two years or the last three years before I stopped it, we won the overall championship. And I put a client in my car for the very first, the very last race is called the mint 400. We went 400 miles and nine hours and 15 minutes. And we won that race. So it was super cool to get my client on top of the car and spray the champagne around. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, motorsports is an amazing, just it's part of, uh, who I am. I still have dirt bikes. I still have uh, UTVs and I love playing around with them. I just don't yeah. race them like yeah. I used to because of uh, mainly the level of danger yeah. and, and the limits that you got to push yourself to, to keep that up. And with grandkids and different things in my life, it's just a season, yeah. season of my life yeah. that I fulfilled and had an amazing time doing it. Yeah. Dude, you're a fascinating individual. <laughs> Thank you. A lot of things, man. Uh, and I used to live in West Virginia. We were talking about that right, earlier, right? Man, you're man. from West Virginia. I've lived there and. It's crazy, man. Uh, but, uh, one other thing uh, you, you've, you know, you seem to have come overcome, you know, things and, and you, you've grown successful businesses and obviously you've learned to, you know, get into the story stuff with Bo and all that and, you know, psychedelics and, you know, it, what do you feel like is uh, something that has continuously allowed you to achieve the level of success that you've had? Right. Cause it's obviously you can, you might have had a spiritual awakenings and, and things like that. But is, is there anything where you can say like, you know, this, this thing is one thing that's always kind of gravitated me or pulled me or, or something that's helped me along at when I was in those lows or rebuilding phases? Yeah. That's a great question. Uh, a lot of different things come to my mind. Um, uh, probably the number one thing for me that has worked the most consistent for me. And, and I could show you guys, I have my backpack over here and I have my journal in there, but pen and paper, I write down what I'm grateful for on a daily basis. Mm. And I use the word celebrate and appreciate. And I write about it in my book, What We're Worth, because it's one of the lessons that I extracted. So commit to extract the lessons out of any experience, good or bad, and apply those lessons in your life. And then sh- as a bonus, share those lessons with others. Because as we share those lessons with other people, we benefit the most, right? Because it ingrains in it. You were talking about that earlier. You got all this stuff, all these young guys around. You got to continue to do the work yourself or 
they're going to level up past you. Right. So it keeps that hunger in you. So for me, um, you know, I've had a lot of success and I'll continue to because of the work and who I am. Um, it's enjoying along the way. So when I was down there privately with Ryan earlier, I says, Hey man, like things are, looks like things are going really well for you. Um, tell me about, uh, how you celebrate that in your own life. He does lot, I know we talked about it and I looked him in his eyes and put my hand on his shoulder and I'm like, that's an opportunity for you. It doesn't take away. Mm-hmm. See celebrating and enjoying the success, the appreciation of things in your life as something that creates momentum for you. Mm-hmm. Be strategic on a daily basis. Michael, be strategic on a daily basis to stop Look back, look back from where you came from to where you are now. Think about the days of living in the house and top ramen noodles and sleeping on the floor to where you're at today. Celebrate that. It's okay to feel the pat on the back. Don't think of it as something that will make you weaker. Change your story in your mind that it will actually create more momentum for you by allowing yourself to celebrate and appreciate along the way. And you don't have to take my word for it. You can test it yourself. You can find out if that's true for you. So it allows us to enjoy life along the way while still being successful versus being successful and being miserable. That's Mm. the difference. There's two types of successful people in life. One's miserable and one's happy. Our goals and our target and targets in life, these big, how owning a race team, doing this, doing that, doing this, making this amount of money bigger, stronger, faster. Those targets are like the horizon. They're always out there because we reach it and then we hit and then we go after another one. And I'm not saying don't do that. I do that. I want that. I have that in my life, but stop and celebrate and appreciate along the way by looking back at where you've come from. Don't measure here forward. Have that in your life, but also, also measure looking back from where you've come from to where you're at now. Does that make sense? It makes complete sense. Yeah. It's like the, the gap in the game kind of concept. That's exactly right? where it came yeah. from. Dan Sullivan, strategic yeah. coach. That's where I learned it from is from Dan. Mm. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. No. And, and, and I'd say that's probably one of my, uh, uh struggles as well. Right. The, it, it is for all of us, is. man, it all is. of us strivers. Yeah, you're no different. Yeah. I'm no different. People listen, they're no different. Yeah. And when yeah. you see, and, and again, yeah, I, I watch Ryan and seeing where he's at, and right, I'm always, that's always my measuring stick. Yeah. Right. I'm like, I can't celebrate yet. Right. I'm like, I'm not there. I can't celebrate yet. I, I, he, I don't see him celebrate. I don't see that. Right. And, and, and then so you start to just tell this story that more, 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 more. And, you know, I can be extremely fulfilled and love what I do, but I literally, before you walked in, my whole coach, the whole mentor call today was about setting goals and then setting the reward for achieving the goal and then yes. making sure you do it. Yes. Part of me is teaching that because I know that I need it. hundred percent. And I'm always trying to teach the things where I, it, it to me, the universe is always a mirror, yep. right? There's people coming to you, asking you questions or the things that you feel empowered to teach or help people on is always the thing that you need the most. And, and after you read my book, what we're worth, I would encourage you to share it with you guys. Share with them the concept of human life value balance sheet. We, we have this property value balance sheet, but we also have this human life value balance sheet. The intrinsic self-worth items in our life, our knowledge, our experiences, our leadership ability, our ability to share stories and communicate and to build relationships of trust and all of that are our human life value assets. Get them excited and empowered by this human life value balance sheet 
and a property value balance sheet because property value is a result of the human life value. Mm. Man, Michael, man, I appreciate you coming in. It's my pleasure. I know it was uh, off the cuff, but yeah. you know, I, I'm, I'm super fortunate uh, that I was able to have you on and just get to connect with you. And I hope we get to connect again Look forward you know, to it. someday. Michael, what's a, what's a good way for uh, people to reach out to you, kind of find you if they want more resources or your books as well? Yeah, uh, vault, A-I-S-V-A-U-L-T-A-I-S.com. Uh, and you can find uh, what we're worth on uh, Amazon and also what would the Rockefellers do? And then uh, Michael G. Isom on Instagram. All right, my man. And then I'll make sure to drop in the show notes to some links okay. to those things as well so awesome. that they can find you. But Michael, man, yeah. I appreciate you coming on, my brother. It's my pleasure. All right, thank you. All right.